Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Well, today's episode is going to be a barrel of laughs. It is with a dear friend of mine, Kylie Martin. And you know, when you look back at your life and you look at the people that you've met, and there are always some people that seem to stand out from the crowd. They're always in the fond and happy memories and they've helped and nudged your life in a positive direction. And often at the time, you didn't even realize the nudging was taking place. Well, Kylie Martin is definitely one of those people in my life as she played a pivotal role in my career into the music industry. And she really helped me along the way and um, has always been a huge supporter of mine. And when I reached out to her and said, hey, Kylie, I'd love to interview you for the podcast. She's like, why do you want to interview me? I'm not inspirational like all these other people that you, uh, you've interviewed. And that's, that's in typical Kylie kind of form, you know, because when you do look at Kylie's resume in uh, the music industry, she's had a huge, hugely successful one. Um, she's been head of publicity for leading independent and multinational record companies. She started her own publicity company, Martini Media. She's the publicist for Aria and their 30th anniversary awards, along with being Kylie Minogue's publicist for umpteen years. And as much as we do discuss Kylie's journey into the music industry, where we really dive deep, and one of the main reasons I really did want to have a chat with her is when Kylie shares her journey into motherhood and discovering that her baby boy has autism. Now, Kylie is honest and frank, as only Kylie could be, as she discusses being fearful of her son's future, how wiring could lead to life improvements, moving out of Sydney to help bring calmness to her son, being at her best when she is busy, and the definition of autism from a mother who has a child with autism. Now, Kylie and I obviously have a bit of history, so there's a lot of giggles and um, hopefully not too many personal in-jokes. And Kylie really is a stack of fun, and you can often hear her coming by the sound of her infectious laugh, which you will hear many times in this episode. My days are always better with Kylie in them, and I'm sure yours will be too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the one and only Kylie Martin. The one and only Kylie Martin. How are you? I'm very good, Junior. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And it, it's interesting that you call me Junior because that is that is a name that I believe you <laughs> and the wonderful Andy Milne gave me. Yes. And, and it kind of, it stuck with me through my whole music career to the point from memory that it was actually on my business cards. It was on your business card and it was so... Um, it just worked so perfectly for you, and I loved how media picked up on it as well. And um, it was, you know, it was a nickname given with a lot of love. Um, you were our favourite junior, even though um, I think you outshone both of us. Um, but I just remember that day that um, your resume came across our desk, and um, we were looking for a new promo manager, and. I think, you know, as soon as we read that, it was like there was no other, we had to get you. So um, 
it was the most perfectly written resume ever and you were just such a amazing part of the team and um the day you left was very very sad for all of us and i'm glad you said that because our both of our dear friends, uh, Quincy, who is now, yes. you know, senior A and R manager at, That's at, right. at Universal, he was actually going for the job as well. So I just like everyone to know that <laughs> I definitely was the best person, is what you're saying. <laughs> you absolutely, <laughs> Quincy. Um, uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was such a fun time. It's actually one of the highlights of my life working at um, Festival Mushroom Records. It was such a great team, and and we had so much fun. Um, when did you start there? Ah, uh, it was early 2000s for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started, um, I think in, yeah, 1999. And, um, yeah, it was just such a fun time to be working in the music industry and especially for us working with, um, domestic acts and, um, having a lot of success with them as well. So, um, yeah, I loved it. It was a great time. But take me back a, f- a few steps, you know. Yeah. We, I guess we all get into the music industry because we love music and we have a youthful liver. But, you yeah. know, <laughs> what, like, what was your first break? Like, what was that moment that the door first opened for you into the music industry? Um, well, it was – I kind of came around in a weird way. Um, it wasn't a dream job. I just – I was doing uh, art social work at University of Sydney and I'd completed the arts degree, but while I was um, doing those studies, I was um, working part-time at, well, Grace, it was Grace Brothers then, but it was now Maya, that's how long ago it was, um, in their CD department, which I don't even know if they exist anymore, but back then we used to sell truckloads of CDs, truckloads of um, DVDs and it was a really busy, um, department and it was a lot of fun and, um, I just loved it. It was a great job to be doing during university and, um, we got to deal with all the sales reps and Simon, who was an EMI sales rep said to me, oh, there's a promotions assistant job going at Virgin. You should apply. I was like, oh, Okay, so I um, I did apply and I got the job. I was hired by the fabulous Miss Wendy Aldridge and um, the rest is history. Um, I, so I stayed there for four or five years um, and got promoted to promotions and publicity coordinator and I flipped between Virgin EMI, had some amazing bosses there, met the amazing Kate Amplett there. So, you know, lifelong um, friendships were formed there and, um, yeah, I, I think I, um, after four or five years, I, I kind of got a little bit burnt out. So I went for a job at ABC TV Publicity and I got that and um, that was completely different, different pace of life. And um, I was there for about three months and then I got a call from Sue McCauley at Festival Mushroom um, wanting to see if I would like to apply for national publicity manager role. Um, I wasn't looking to leave the ABC, but the change of I, – I think for me I'm at my best when I'm busy. I'm, I can't relax. I can't uh, – you know, m- meditation for me would be like a horror story. So, you know, <laughs> so go, go, I'm just not that kind of person. The busier I am, the better I am and um, the more relaxed I am. So – I um, 
Yeah, so I went for a, a job interview. Once again, the music industry bless. So that was um, we went to a pub, and uh, over a few wines, um, spoke. I was speaking to Sue about the role, and she went, "Oh, hey, we've got. Um, do you want to come and join us? We're about to sign this band called Sister to Sister, S to S." And um, so I got in, I lobbed over to that dinner, and um, I got the job at the end of the night. So that's that was fun, and that kind of. Um, Started my career at um, Festival Mushroom Records. Beautiful FMR, and and what do you, th- why do you think you're at your best when you're crazy busy? I um, I just love being. I love the adrenaline of being busy. Um, and I I think that if you need a job done, give it to a busy person because they just get stuff done. And I find when I'm during quieter periods, I tend to overthink things and then I get a bit anxious and, you know, I'll see, you know, someone will ask me to do something and I won't know how to do it. You know, I, I don't think I'm at my best when I'm quiet. I mean, I got, you know, when I go for my jog, I see mum sitting in the park and just looking so relaxed on a, a rug with their baby. I go, I, was, I never did that. I just, that it, it makes me anxious looking at it, even though I would love to be that kind of mum. It's just I find it um, – I just can't relax. I can't relax. Hmm. So, um, yeah, relaxing just makes me anxious. So – well, I guess yeah, I guess you landed in the in the perfect industry then, because there's there's never really a quiet moment. But from Festival Mushroom Records, you went to to Warner Music when um, Festival Mushroom Records went to the beautiful playground in the sky, full of other record companies yes. that, that folded. <laughs> yes, um, and it's probably, yes. it's probably hard to like narrow this down. But like, what what are some of the the highlights or the moments that really stick out for you during that part of your life working for record companies? Um, I loved um, working with Australian artists at their beginning of their career and seeing them go to number one, seeing them play, you know, to two people at the Annandale, and then all of a sudden, you know, selling out Horton Pavilions. Like that to me was the best fun. Um, but also meeting artists, um, you know, some are better than others. But, um, you know, I think you become a real part of their life. And it's just a fun industry. I mean, even though you re- you work so hard and you play so hard, I really think people in the industry, the majority of people look happy and young. And I think it's because they're doing something that they genuinely love. Um so they look thirty-five, yeah. but they're only twenty-two. But <laughs> <laughs> see, I actually think the opposite. I sit there and go, people in you know in office jobs kind of look their age. Where I, I really feel, even though you know they've seen some um, hard times in the music industry, I think they just genuinely look happier. And I don't know, it's weird. No, I, 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 I I always find when I, yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say. I think because at the end of the day, like music is fun. Like even if a, even if there's fun. a even if there's a sad song, you're you you're connecting it, and the emotions are you know it's a it's a beautiful thing. I think emotions, no matter whether they're positive or negative, it's just great to be able to feel. And music enables yes. people to feel. A hundred percent. And no matter what mood you you're in, 
a song can really affect that mood and, you know, any time like something bad happens to me, I love listening to sad songs. I just go, I'm this, this, this is me. I'm feeling so sad now. And you really, you understand me. And this is a perfect song for how I'm feeling now. And the same when you're happy, you know, putting on an up tempo Kylie Minogue kind of song just to kind of get you in the mood. So I do, I love music, even though look, right now I wouldn't be able to tell you, um, you know, the newest, I'm, I'm a bit of a dag. I prefer my older kind of music, the stuff that I grew up to, but I'm not into really breaking artists anymore. I'll leave that to the youngsters, but um, I do. I just love, love music. And you brought up your, um, the other Kylie in your life and in, and in the yes. music industry, it's definitely known as the Kylie's, the plural, but you know, <laughs> Kylie, Kylie Minogue has actually played it quite a huge part in your life because you've been her Australian publicist for umpteen years you know talk to me about that journey um so I mean this was a really I reckon the year 2000 was probably the highlight of my life um you know with the Sydney Olympics and you know it was so fun working at Festival Mushroom at that time because they had like VIP parties up, you know, throughout the Olympics where all our artists attended and it was just, it was a great ride. And um, during that time, because Kylie sang at the opening ceremony um, and she was about to release some new music, um, I was asked to meet her manager, Terry Blamey, while they were here and um, we just hit it off instantly and he's just the loveliest most beautiful man in the world and um, he's really looked after me. So that was in 2000 and I'm still working with Kylie today. So 16 years later. Wow. And and actually going back in time just – and is, is, am I correct in saying that she's coming out for the Arias this year? Oh, we, we have our fingers crossed have our fingers. Um, always. Um, like it's the 30th um, anniversary of the Aria, so it would be amazing to have her there. So we're just trying to work through that now. But, of course, we'd love to have her there. And um, I'm so she sorry. She came I last did... year. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not mean to ask that kind of Kylie question that I'm sure you get asked by everyone. But um, that, <laughs> that was definitely not my intention there. But I do like it how you instantly clicked into the publicist gear then and, and kind of <laughs> – Gave me that publicist talk. That was beautiful. <laughs> did you like that? Do you think I, I've been asked that question a lot this year? I do. I did not mean that at all. But for for all my, all my American um, listeners, the Arias is is the equivalent to, I guess, the American Grammys is the best way to describe it. And I guess this is a segue into you opening your own. Um, publicity company Martini Media and you're actually your company's looking after the publicity for the Arias this year and it is their 30th anniversary it must be <laughs> a great thing to you know as you said you love Australian music and to be part you know kind of being being in in the in the cockpit of such an amazing moment in Australian music history for you yeah look I, I've always loved the Aria Awards I always think it's such a proud and fun time for the Australian music industry. And, you know, we've had some fun ARIA awards together, Junior. I don't and, remember um, any of them. <laughs> and, um, you know, look, it's always in the back of my mind been a role that I'd love to take on. Um, 
And it was a weird moment in my life when I was asked to do it. Um, my very dear friend, Michael Long, who's the event producer of the ARIA Awards, he um, was calling me quite a lot. And I hadn't spoken to him in quite some time, but he kept calling. But I wasn't calling him back because at that exact time, um, Darren and I found out that our son Liam was on the autism spectrum. So I was not really interested in talking to anyone at that time. I really kind of shut down. Um, so I, like with all my martini media stuff, I just kind of wrote to all my clients at the time and said, look, I'm having um, a little bit of a break. Um, we've just had this diagnosis for Liam and I just, uh, right now my mind's not on work. And um, so Michael's very, very persistent and um, he finally um, got hold of me and said, oh, can I come and have, have a chat to you? And I was like, yeah. So anyway, I told him all about Liam's diagnosis. He had just also had a, a really life-threatening um, bicycle crash. Um, so he was not in a great way either. So we were kind of talking about, you know, <laughs> not so great times in our lives. And um, he then said he was looking for a publicist to do the Aries. And this was in 2013. And I was like, oh, Michael, I, you know, that's my dream job, but I don't think right now is a great time. And he said after his crash, he kind of reevaluated his life and went the one thing that kept him going was working, you know, took his mind off you know, his recovery and um, it kind of gave him purpose. So he went, just have a think about it. And I went, you know, from saying, telling all my clients that I couldn't do any work with them because this is going to take up, you know, Liam's taking up all of my time. Um, and then, then, you know, going, am I going to accept, which will be probably the busiest job I could ever take on. Um, but anyway, I kind of thought about it and I spoke to Darren about it and I decided to say yes and accept the role. And it was the best thing I could have done really because I was, you know, like anything with Liam, with the diagnosis, I was reading up on everything and you become such a little champion for them. But you need you need something else in life to think about and the Aries really did that it was such a great learning experience and I did say after it that I wouldn't do it again and here I am four years later um still doing it and still loving it I mean the friendships that I've made at Aria and with the people you work with are just priceless and you know we're a dysfunctional little family but we get a lot done and um we all love each other. It's a great little team and um, I just love working with them. So it's great to be working on the 30th this year and, um, yeah. And you, you talk about, you know, that being your dream job, you know, a dream yep. opportunity. What, what's it like when, when that does come knocking on your door? And I know that it came knocking on your door probably at a time when, when you didn't want it to. But, but was it hard when you've got this thing that you, you wanted to do 
once you've opened your own company or, or even probably when you were still working at record companies, like, yep. is, is it hard to kind of take on that, that, that process and that, that job or was, was there, I guess what I'm trying to say was, was there elements of, of dauntingness kind of in front of you? There was, but it really gave me a purpose. And I, um, having learnt from all the amazing publicists that have worked on the ARIA Awards and having, you know, been on the other side looking after artists attending the ARIA Awards, I just, I just knew that I could do it and I just loved working out the plan and the timeline and, you know, who I'd need to call at media getting back in touch with all the labels and working with this great team at ARIA, um, just just even starting that process was so therapeutic to me and uh, it, it was a life changer and it was a great life changer. And, look, uh, to be honest, working on the ARIAs is not great for the family because it is, you know, 110% of your time and energy and there's so much to think about, but I really do love it. It's like a drug for me. I just, it's, I love the adrenaline of it, um, the excitement of it. And on the night, you know, once the red carpet starts, as Michael Long would say, you know, the, the train has left the station. Let's just, you know, there's nothing else we can do now. Let's enjoy the ride. And that's what it really feels like. And, um, yeah, and working with, you know, on the day, I have a great team who, worked the red carpet with me in the media suite and you know having a drink with them after the event it's just it's a lot of fun and um it takes me a while to get over it though I don't do any work in December or January because it's like I, I physically can't but um and that's good time to spend time with the family and kind of go hey remember me I'm your mummy she's back <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, and talking about you know being a mother what what was it yes. was it what was it like when that beautiful moment of motherhood kind of arrived? Like how did that change the way that you worked and, and you had to learn to kind of juggle everything? Because like, I know you and you've said before, like you're always busy and now you're, you're kind of injecting a child into that. How did you go about kind of figuring all that kind of thing out? Well, I was, um, it all kind of worked out perfectly for me the whole the whole thing, I um, Liam was born in January um, 25, 2010. So I was still at Warner and I went on mat leave in December. So at the end of the year when everyone kind of wraps up, I just didn't go back. So I, I was on maternity leave. And, you know, the one thing about having Liam was I, I, everything about motherhood was okay for me, but I found a lot of it very boring and very repetitive like I'm sure a lot of parents do and I really feel envious of those mums that could just really enjoy that baby bubble and relax but because I'm not good at doing that um you know as much I mean I couldn't stop looking at him I just like even thinking about it now the amount of time you waste when you have a newborn it's like I'm just looking at you and I could do this all day but at the same time I had it in me that um, not that I put on a lot of weight, but it's like my whole body's changed and am I ever going to get that back and I can't just go out for a run when I feel like it and I wish I didn't worry so much about that because at the end of the day, your body does, never looks the same, but, you know, um, 
it all kind of works itself out. So I wish I gave myself a little bit more time just to enjoy that newborn baby bliss, mm. um, that bubble, yeah. And you mentioned before that, that Liam um, has autism. Yeah. Like what is the definition of autism from a mother that has a child with autism? Do you know what? The reason why I was so upset when I got the diagnosis, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You're relieved because you go, right, now I can get a plan in place and I, I can make sure that he goes into an autism, you know, try and get him into an autism-specific school, get him therapy. You know, you, you charge ahead with this plan. Um but on the other side, you go, life's never going to be the same. Is he going to be dependent on us for the rest of our lives? Um, you know, you fear, I fear for the future. The thing with Liam is that he's the happiest child on the planet. He is a lord. He struts around like he owns the world. And so he has no idea. He's happy. So I look at him and go, why why do I why am I so anxious about your future? When you are the happiest, like um he's like an alpha male. He's just he's Liam the Lord. So um I you know, I, I sit there and go, I, I wish I could be as chilled about it as he is because he has no idea. Sometimes he gets frustrated because he can't communicate what he wants. But apart from that, he's he's like a boy boss. So I go, stop worrying until you kind of have to. But what what kind of happened as a result of worrying about his future was um, a move that we've just um, made to a place called, where we're about to make um, next year, depending on whether Liam can get into a school up there. Um, we're moving to a place called Curry Curry, and that kind of came about because – I got last-minute um, tickets to a day on the green at a winery up there from our good friend Melissa Key, and it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing, Friday afternoon to go on Saturday. So I called Darren at work and went, um, let's do this. He was like, oh, really? And then anyway, so I went, Let, let's do something spontaneous. Let's get out of Sydney. So I was looking for accommodation, and there was nothing in the Hunter Valley that was an under, you know, $2,000 a night. So I kind of went a bit cheaper and found um, an accommodation option at the station hotel at Curry Curry. And I've never heard of Curry Curry, never been there, but it was close enough to get to the winery. There was a bus that leaves from the station hotel. It all kind of worked out. And so we got there and we went into the pub for a drink and we just had the best time as a family. Liam was so relaxed because it's not as sensory overload and Darren and I had such a good time which mate we probably didn't have the for a long time before that and it was just a really lovely family time the bus came you know we we're in the um, pub having a beer we could see the bus jumped on the bus went to the um, concert had such a fun time Liam had a great time um, and we got back and left the following day and on the drive home, Darren was like, I've really enjoyed that. I, I like this kind of life. And I went, well, be careful what you wish for because there is an aspect school that's an autism-specific school about 20 minutes away. 
And so we kind of went, oh, I wonder, I wonder if this could be an option. And so we kind of went up a couple of more times and went to a few open houses and we stumbled upon this um, great little house. I mean, it needs a lot of work on a quarter acre block. But we kind of went, Liam could ride his bike around here. We can teach him to cross the road because here it's just so hectic to even try and teach him to cross the road. You know, basic things like that we could do there. And every time, every subsequent time we've been there, Liam's been, his behaviour changes completely. And um, so, yeah, we're hoping to make that move um, next year. And to go back to the point that I was trying to make in a long roundabout kind of way, fearing for Liam's future, you know, will we be able to pay this house off in a reasonable amount of time? I mean, the mortgage per month is less than what we pay a week in rent here. So, you know, we'll be able to do that and he will have a home and hopefully some savings. So if he does need care when we're gone, he's got a home in a great community where, you know, I know more people in Curry Curry than I know in Sydney. But, you know, and after six kind of visits. So I just love that kind of um, that atmosphere. I, you know, even though it's definitely going to be a, a, a quieter, different change of pace kind of like, I have a feeling that when I get there, I'm never going to be busier. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll find something to do. Curry Curry won't know what's hit them. <laughs> but that but this is the thing like every time we go into that that the station they're like hey kylie hey darren hey liam like it's just um you know one time we went up there and they had like you know pub bingo or something like that or whatever and i won so i won 35 schooners and i just felt like oprah like you know drinks on me it was so much fun and you know i just can't even imagine doing that in sydney and I think you're right there with what you were saying about, you know, sometimes life deals you the cards that you weren't expecting, but then once you actually play the hand, you know, some beautiful things can happen and, and you know, your, your life is about to go through quite a big tra- transformation when you, you actually kind of enter into my greater neighborhood here in the Hunter Valley and that, yes. that slowness of of life. I know it'll be something that you might need to get used to, but it's, it is actually a really, I love it, that beautiful feeling. And also you kind of touched on it, you know, having that less mortgage stress and, and affordability because in Sydney it's, it is crazy. I remember reading a statistic somewhere. It was like, you know, Oslo and Norway, Vancouver and Canada and Sydney here in Australia were the three most expensive cities to live in the world, which was um, just crazy. But with, with like, you, you, crazy. Talk, you talk about that, you know, that change in your life that you had to kind of go through. But what was it like when you were starting to really discover that, that Liam, that there might be something a little bit different with Liam? Like how, how old was he? Um, he, it was really weird from zero to one. He was ahead with all the milestones. Like, he sat really early, walked really early, um, and, you know, he was like, you know, as far as his um, being verbal, you know, he was saying, you know, a few words, like, you know, in the right kind of way it should have been rolling out. And then just after his first birthday, everything, you know, he, he didn't, like, he's, he's the most active 
child on the planet, like all of that, like everything that he had achieved, it didn't regress. He just, he wasn't talking. He's so, um, he doesn't take instruction. So when he was at daycare, when I'd go to pick him up, I'd just find that like, you know, when they're all babies, they're all kind of the same. And then I was just going, how come all the children there are going, hi, Liam's mum, how are you? And like, Liam was excited to see me that you know that wasn't that but you know he wasn't saying those kind of words and putting them into those kind of sentences and I remember walking behind someone and um a mum that just picked up their child and the the child was going look mummy the sky is blue I can see a bird I'm like I I can't even imagine Liam saying that so um we got him I think well so then you know, because I was concerned, I kind of started the path of going to um, a psych a psychologist. Uh, was it a psychologist or someone to kind of start the ball rolling, like to a get him assessed? And they were like, "Yeah, I don't. We don't think he's got autism. Might he might he might suddenly have something wrong with his hearing." So we went through like two sets of grommets, getting his adenoids out sleep therapy like you know that and this was you know on the advice of them they just didn't believe that Liam was autistic um because he's got such a big personality he is um you know he's not shy he's not introverted um he's like a mini me like he's just like he just thinks he rules the world so you know and that's not very characteristic of children on the spectrum who are are, are normally quite um well that's a wrong thing to say because every single person who has autism is different um but I think overall you'd probably find that most people in the autism spectrum are quite introverted and um Whereas Liam has this really big personality um, and he's cheeky. He's got a really good sense of humour. So um, for about a year we just kept doing, you know, on their advice, um, you know, getting all these um, procedures done. And then after the sleep there, oh, we got his tonsils out after the sleep therapy. So we went through everything and then finally they went, you know what, let's get him assessed. We, you know, we've been through everything He's not improving. Um, so we got him assessed and that was quite possibly the most um, in-your-face kind of day, like during that, because, you know, it's in a really kind of clinical setting and Liam really couldn't do anything they were asking to do. And I just knew during that it really – because for us, living with Liam, we don't see it. We just go, oh, you know, he's a bit naughty and he doesn't take instructions and, you know, he's – very distraught. I mean, the house is just looks like a bomb's hit it constantly, no matter how much you try and clean it. Um, but seeing it in that kind of setting, I was like, whoa, he's he's not he's not getting any of this. Um, so you go, you do that, and then you go away, have a bite to eat, and then you come back for their assessment. And um, yeah, he they diagnosed him as being on the autism spectrum and also with a mild intellectual disability. So from that, we 
um, you know, started doing therapy, anything that they recommended, I was gung ho and locked it all in. Um, like what, what do you think? And then what, what do you think you did as a, sorry to cut you off there. Um, but what, what do you, no, it's all right. what, what do you think that you did as a, as a mother that, that kind of really helped your family to, to deal with this? Like if someone else was kind of going through this and they've now kind of dealt with it and you were saying earlier that like one of the things about finding out and, and someone saying that, Hey, he does, he is on the spectrum that allowed you, you know, you kind of got into your planning mode and I'm sure you developed some amazing schedule for him. But like, what, what, what were those things that, that you did that, you know, you look back and you go, that really helped us as a family to kind of get through this. Uh, one thing I would recommend, and I wish anyone who was diagnosed got the the autism handbook, and that's a really factual. It gives great advice, great practical advice, very easy to read, even though the subject matter is quite dry. Um, but I I tore through that because it just so much great advice and it's written by um, parents of children. The other one would be Life with Max by Chloe Maxwell, um, which gave their personal story of um, raising Max. And, you know, some of the similar, you know, like I said, not every child on the autism spectrum, like, you know, Everyone, when you think of autism, thinks of Rain Man or whatever. It, it, you know, it is, that's why it's called a spectrum because there's so many different um, qualities of um, people that are diagnosed with autism. But reading that book was just once again a lifesaver. And even Darren, who doesn't really like reading, inhaled that because he, you know, it was great to just hear, you know, people in the the spotlight like Chloe Maxwell and Matt Rogers two really high-profile people going through that and you kind of go, you know, they've, but, you know, they've come out the other side and um, they do great, great work within the autism community. And so that, that they, they were the two things, they were my two little lifesavers and I gave them to my immediate family who also inhaled them and it just gave everyone a different perspective and you know it's not all doom and gloom like I said Liam is the happiest child in the on the planet um but it just gives you some a bit of a structure to where you know if something goes wrong what should I do and um I think the thing for me though and Liam is just stubborn so what I've found like I I did go into you know manic kind of right we're going to do this therapy this therapy this therapy and whatever and I just don't think Liam was ready for it. It really didn't have the right, you know, we saw a bit of an improvement. But the thing with Liam is once he learned something, it has to be on his time, like when he's ready to do it, he'll just do it. Like he'll nail it. Like with toilet training, I reckon I was trying to train him for two years. It was so frustrating because I'm, I'm not patient. It's not a great thing to do anyway. And he just wasn't getting it. And I got this super nanny in. Funda from Tiny Terrors, and she went, how often are you asking him about going to the toilet? I went, every 30 minutes, this is what it says. And she's like, "Does he? what's his nappy like when he wakes up? And I went, it's completely dry. And she went, well, he's got a really good bladder. And I was like, yeah, right, okay. So she went, just don't ask him. Just don't ask him. Just always let him know that there's a toilet if he needs to use it, but don't. And he, I reckon it took 
a day and he was fully trained. Like he doesn't wear a nappy to bed. Like he wow. just, it, he just got it. He just got it. Like there's not been an accident since because he, it was his decision. And it's like anything with him, if it's his decision, he'll nail it. So for me, there is a lot of hope for the future, but it just needs to be on Liam's time. So I try not to push him as much now and he, he, he gets it. Like he, you know, there, there comes a point where he gets things and, you know, he's not very verbal, but if he wants something, he can ask for it in perfect English, like perfect. So um, he, he's got the ability to do it. He just needs to want to do it. And um, it, which, which is, I guess, similar to a lot of kids, you know what I mean? That they kind of just, everyone kind of wants to, I guess, control their own destiny and things like that. Yes. But you, you touched on a little bit earlier about your move up to, to Curry Curry. And, yep. and when you first went up there, just the way that the family interacted and the way that, you know, Liam kind of chilled out a little bit. And yep. you know, making that big move, you know, obviously there are elements that you're doing it that you kind of spoke about, whether it be financial and also about the school that Liam's going to. But then I feel like there isn't a set date for you guys to move yet because of the school. And is that a is that a really challenging thing as a parent with a kid on the spectrum to be able to find um, an available spot in these specialist schools? Oh, 100%. I mean, this is why they are specialist schools because there's six – children in each class with two, a teacher and a teacher's aide. So the level of attention within that class with people who are trained to look after and teach these children on the spectrum. But, if you you know, you do the math, it's like, you know, what is it like one in every hundred or something child is diagnosed on the spectrum? Um, that doesn't that doesn't add up. You know, there's six there's six positions for in each kind of year kind of thing. So, um, you know, the thing with these schools is to transition the child when they're ready into mainstream. That's the goal. Like at the end of the day, everyone wants to be inclusive and be, you know, life isn't about being in a classroom with six children on the spectrum. Life is about knowing how to relate to people in everyday situations. So that, that the whole point of these schools is to try and transition into mainstream so these children who become adults know how to deal with other people um so but yeah so finding a spot in these schools is very tricky and you know it causes a lot of anxiety but you know getting Liam into um aspect boom barnett was just a life changer to change our lives. Um, well, I hope a, spot, I, I hope a uh, uh, sorry to cut you off again there. I hope a, a, right. a spot opens up there quite soon, and you guys can move up because I, I think that you know that that country air will be will be amazing for Liam. And on a selfish note, it means that uh, I'll be able to sit next to you at the Curry Curry Station Station Pub and and um, yeah. hopefully win thirty six schooners with you. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> We won't tell him. We'll just have them between ourselves. Oh, holy Nelly. But I, I have to start wrapping up here. And, and I've got one question that I do ask all of my guests, and that is to describe your perfect day. Ooh. Oh, you've stumped me. My perfect day would involve – what would it involve? 
Probably. Do you know what? I had a perfect day that day that we went to Curry Curry. We got up there early and we left early. We had like a bit of a brekkie beer. It was 11 o'clock, but, you know, just started the day and then, you know, going, getting the bath was all very exciting to the um, to the vineyard. The atmosphere there, seeing Tina Arena and Simply Red and just chilling out and then coming home and going back to the pub and having a bit of a boogie and then, you know, being on site to go, you know, didn't have to get cabs anywhere. Just that's a perfect day to me. And waking up and having Maccas the next day. <laughs> Simple things in life, mate. A bill of health here, a bill of health. Yeah, exactly. Well, well ho- ho- hopefully, maybe not every day it'll be at the pub, but hopefully when you guys do move up to Curry Curry, it was Curry Curry in general that kind of did generate that perfect day and you can um, have many, many of them as a family. But um, Kylie, I, so. I want to just say a huge thank you for sharing your story. And I know that we kind of touched on some topics that aren't always easy to, to talk about, but you know, when you you greet everybody with a smile and a hug and I know that you know every everybody's day is better when you're in it but um oh junior thank you uh, I really thank do mean that thank you for having me here <laughs> thank don't, you for asking me to do it don't be silly but I if people having a chat I loved having a chat with you it's been too long it has been too long and I'll have to come on down to Sydney to see you face to face yes yes if people want to reach out to you and, um, you know, learn a little bit more about you or maybe even ask you a few questions if they're going through similar things in their life, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is to email me at Kylie, K-Y-L-I-E, at martini, M-A-R-T-I-N-I, dash, media, M-E-D-I-A, dot com, dot A-U. Would love to hear from you. And I'll make sure that that and uh, all the other links and the books that Kylie spoke about are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. And before we say goodbye, Kylie, is there anything that you want to say, anything that I've left out? No, I think we've covered everything, Junior. I hope I haven't bored people. Uh, not at all. I think that, you know, this is the, <laughs> you know, I, I have to tell everyone, Kylie, before we before I hit record, she's like, Mike, why do you want to interview me? I'm not inspirational like these other people that you talk to. But, you know, as I was explained to Kylie, it's it's that kind of getting through each day and, and your amazing story about your life in the music industry. And also with, with little Liam, I think that it's, you know, every parent has struggles each day, but I think that yours might be 10x. And I think there's a beautifulness in it that it's just normal to you. And that's the way that you, that you live it and that you, you breathe it. Yeah. Thank you, Junior. Oh, thank you. And I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. (laughs) Bye. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.